This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Svetlana Monets and Isabel Hardman. Ukraine's President Zelensky came to Westminster today to address Parliament. Svetlana, what did he have to say? It's obvious that Zelensky's goal for coming here and addressing British Parliament was to receive fighter jets for Ukraine, as Britain was one of the first countries to help Ukraine in the first weeks of the war, sending us weapons and aid. Zelensky hoped that if the West does send combat aircrafts, Britain will be the first to make the argument. And so far, Ukrainian pilots have been using uh, Soviet uh, aircrafts like MiG-29 and Su-27 and fighting at the limit of their capabilities. And as the spring offensive is coming and everybody is talking that Russia is preparing a new offense to capture the Holden bus, also maybe Kharkiv region if they are successful, it is crucial for Ukraine to receive the fighting jets as soon as possible. Isabel, where's the conversation in the UK about fighter jets at the moment? Number 10 has said that the Defence Secretary is looking into it. Yeah, so previously the position of the UK government has been that it would be impractical to send fighter jets from the UK to Ukraine. But today, Rishi Sunak's spokesperson uh, said that it might take up to five years to train Ukrainian pilots to use UK fighter jets. So it's a long-term prospect, but that this is something that is now being considered. So it's not a sort of imminent thing as Boris Johnson and, and others have, have suggested it, it should be. Uh, I think the purpose of Zelensky's visit was to try to speed these things up and also to thank the UK for its support, which uh, UK politicians were, were very keen to, to, to get that thanks as well. I have to say, watching MPs in Westminster Hall, most of whom were taking pictures on their phones for most of the speech, it seemed. For them, they clearly had a... It was a very proud moment for them. But I I think they were um, moved a a little bit further towards agreeing to things that they were dismissing a few months ago. So that, you know, the visit has has had that... um, has paid off in that respect. Svetlana Zelensky's also going to meet with Macron. He's also then going to go to Brussels... What's he going to be saying at these different countries and how do you think that his message is going to be received in the different European capitals? Yes, also I would like to stress that he's going to meet not only Macron but Scholz in France. And I think the purpose of his trip, the second trip since the invasion, last year invasion, is like to start the conversations about sending aircrafts to Ukraine. Ukrainians are not so optimistic about Macron and Scholz as, as we know that we spent months convincing Scholz to send tanks to Ukraine. And it can take months or even years to convince him to send chess to Ukraine. So, But they are very hopeful about Britain. And I think that Zelensky making these speeches, making politicians remember that Ukraine is fighting the war every day and we need the weapons now is just a good way to show that Ukraine needs help right now. And also Svetlana, what the Americans do is also very important. Where do you think the debate is over there? Do you think they'll be more open than France and Germany? 
I'm not sure yet because recently Biden said no to sending A-16 fighter jets to Ukraine, but said that they're open to discussions. Ukraine hopes that sooner or later they will do that, but we think that if Britain does it first, then other countries will follow. Also, the Netherlands were saying that they are cons considering sending A-16 jets to Ukraine and also Poland. We, we just need someone to do it first and other countries will follow. As well, Boris Johnson has said that jets should be sent to Ukraine now. How much an impact will what he says have on what the government does? Yeah, I mean, it is obviously uh, uncomfortable for Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson's interventions on Ukraine are much more inconvenient than, for instance, Liz Truss and her sort of post... I'm not sure she even sees it as a post-mortem of, of, of her leadership, really more a, a sort of continuation this week. It, Prime Minister's questions came just before Zelensky's address to Westminster Hall and... Keir Starmer decided to fit his questions to that rather than going off on a different topic. So he made it all about the UK's unity, its political unity in supporting Ukraine. And I thought it was really striking. He clearly had sort of three purposes in his questions, in his six questions to Rishi Sunak. One was to show that if there was a change of government, which there may well be in the next couple of years, that it wouldn't change the UK's support for the Ukrainian resistance to the Russian invasion. Another was to, as he is always keen to do, underline how Labour has changed since Jeremy Corbyn by saying that Labour's commitment to NATO is unshakable. And the third was to push Rishi Sunak on a couple of issues that were not the sort of thing that you'd normally ask in a sort of partisan point scoring session, particularly the the sort of PMQs we've seen recently, which have basically just been two men shouting, no, you're more weak than I am, which is, is pretty dispiriting, I have to say. So he wanted um, Sunak to say this, um, that he wanted to see Putin um, tried for war crimes at The Hague. And he also asked Sunak whether Russia should pay for the reconstruction of Ukraine and that the wealth that has been held up by economic sanctions uh, should be set aside to do that, both of which Rishi Sunak a a agreed with. And then there was a bit of a step change where Stephen Flynn, the SNP leader, stood up and had his two questions. He started off by paying tribute to Zelensky and you know, echoing a, a lot of the sort of unity sentiments that uh, Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak had, had offered earlier in the session and then started talking about Liz Truss saying that uh, she had no regrets about her premiership. Did Rishi Sunak have any regrets about her premiership? And so it sort of became a little bit more political again. But it was the first session that I've seen in a very long time where there was a genuine spirit of unity rather than what Keir Starmer often does, which is to say, so, in the spirit of unity, and then spend the next six questions complaining. And finally, should XMPs get a medal for their service? Isabel, this suggestion has come from the Commons Administration Committee. Could you tell us about it, please? Yeah, I mean, who deserves a medal more, Zelensky or XMPs? So this is a report that's come out from this cross-party committee of MPs suggesting, among other things, that when people leave Parliament, they should get some kind of medallion to recognise their service. Now, that's the most eye-catching bit of this report, which is actually quite a serious examination of what happens at the end of a parliamentary career and whether what happens puts good people off from coming into Westminster in the first place because they 
see what happens to ex-MPs. I mean, there's a saying in Westminster, which is there's nothing more ex than an ex-MP. And it's interesting, there's a sort of, there's a division between the recovering MPs who, I mean, I, I saw one recently who kept waving at me at a, at a party. I thought, why is this woman waving at me? Then I realised that she was a former MP and she just looked so much happier and healthier that I genuinely <laughs> hadn't recognised her until she said who she was. Uh, so there was those sort of recovering politicians who've moved on with their lives, are doing something completely different, often had a, a good career before Parliament and have gone back to that career. And then the ex-MPs who find it very, very difficult often because they've lost unexpectedly to move on, to find a new job. They discover that MP is not the adornment on a CV that it once was. Indeed, as this report says, it's often quite off-putting to employers because they think that that ex-MP might still want to be an MP again, which a lot of them do because they're basically political drug addicts. They just want another hit of of being in Westminster, weird as that sounds, or they'll be difficult to manage, uh, which I think is probably also uh, reasonable given how difficult MPs are to manage by their party whips. So this looks at whether there should be a way of helping MPs transition out of Westminster. And I think the medallion proposal really is part of a, a desire to make being an MP something to be proud of again, as opposed to something that has over the last few years been subject to a great deal of mockery and and derision, which I I think would be a good thing because I think we want the best rather than second-rate people wanting to go into politics in the first place. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, Svetlana, and thank you for listening. And if you want to keep up to date with the latest developments in Ukraine, then subscribe to Svetlana's Ukraine in Focus newsletter. You can do that at spectator.co.uk forward slash Ukraine. Thank you for listening.